Welcome back to the Nick Fit Studios podcast. I'm your host, Jack Ryan, and I'm joined by gym manager, deadlift, squat, Turkish get-up, aficionado, Shane Walsh. How are you getting on, Shane? Appreciate that. Also like now that. trained by Shane. Trained by Shane also, Appreciate yeah. on Instagram. No, I like wanna, that intro, wanna, man. I like that. Yeah, That's you cool. change your life, if you want to change your life through fitness in person <laughs> or online, you, you can reach you in two different ways now. It's yeah, great. absolutely. Sounds good. Um, oh, I'm so new to this that it's uh, it's almost like a smack in the face, to be honest. <laughs> Use sure. a microphone. A microphone for the face. Yeah, I'm just not used to. Push look. We'll, uh, we'll roll with the punches. Absolutely, that's the best way to do it. I've so far uh, gone with the fake it till you make it on the podcasting front. It seems to have gone okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope. one thing I'm not good at, man, is faking it. It's either to me, it's like you know it or you don't. Yeah, and it's like I'll admit fully up front here. I do not know it, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. Looking Absolutely. To so this is a, a strength series that we're we're starting here on the podcast. Going to be bite sized chunks where we're going to talk about the exercises that form our programming. The big rocks is what we like to call them here. The exercises that if you join Nicholas Studios, you're going to encounter on a weekly basis and why we why we program that way. So can you give us a brief rundown of the exercises that we focus on in the gym? In the gym, we have our standards board, which hangs front and center. Um, it's something that our members can look up to. It's something that they can work towards over their time here, however long that may be. And it's derived from the populations that we've coached over the previous three to four years those numbers we've kind of averaged out and we've put front and center like i said so we have our three different levels now i messed this up a second ago so hopefully i get it right this time so we have three different levels and our, our lower level our entry level into it is our rock star and every time somebody hits their rock star they get a t-shirt they can wear that t-shirt proud if they hit the next one it's going to be their legend uh, they're literally going to walk around with legend written on their back and if they get to that highest level which nobody has reached as of yet as far as i'm aware and then we have our hall of fame status so that's like your your goal ticket that's like a proper deserve pat on the back like everybody should be patting you on the back of the gym but it's good crack it's good crack and um, because i don't even think coach jack has gotten there yet push-ups are the I, thing. either either you, push-ups like both of you, get 50 push-ups. both jacks are pretty close yeah but uh, it's, well, it's uh, i don't know you'd yeah, say pretty close i think i'm the only jack that's close but anyway on the tgu that's where jack uh, jack's on is down but i think you want the push-ups <laughs> But either way, our standard board is a nice um, target for all of our members to be working towards uh, in terms of their physical strength. Okay, And that's primarily what that board is is there for, for their strength purposes, because we promote strength training for a number of reasons. And not that we need to get into that now, but those, those exercises that we've chosen from our deadlift, our squat, our TGU, our push-up, and our chin-up. It's like if we can tick those five exercises and get very proficient at those five exercises, everything else should fall into place. You should have a very balanced, not only um, physique, but in terms of um, balance straight the body. So you'll have definitely less um, asymmetries straight the body. It's good crack as well. It's good crack to be able yeah, to have that range. They form the foundation of every good strength program. Like I said, we, yeah. you touched on that we we promote strength training, strength training for fat loss, for gaining strength, mm-hmm. for building a better physique, for recovery from injuries, for sports-specific training. Strength, strength does form the base of, of every other level of fitness, and it plays a key role in programming. Those five exercises, and maybe if you throw in a, a, a unilateral squat, like a split squat, a horizontal push and pull, if you just had only those eight movement patterns covered, that would make up an entire training program. So one of the things that people might 
encounter if maybe they've only done a general population or been out in a, a big box gym and never seen programming play out over weeks and months, they might say, well, we're just repeating the same exercises over and over again. Can you just maybe give a brief rundown as to why that's important? Well, I suppose we are. And it's, it's important that we are. Our body can only do so much. There's, there's no point of creating um, huge amounts of variation within a structured program unless like obviously for example a crossfit is a different sport and um, it's working on different components it's working on numerous other things that we are not talking about right now right now we're talking about purely strength and improving somebody's um overall strength and health so when we're talking about those people just simply need to practice they need perfect practice to become better at each of those movements it, not only to become proficient at them but to become great at them like we all want to be good at stuff, but there's no point being good when you can be great. And focusing solely on a number of key movements, which we've just spoken about, those five movements that we set on our standards board, we have them through each one of our programs as that foundation, like you said. And it is important that they're there so that people can practice each and every week. And so that each and every week, they are able to progress in some manner. Now, we have different ways of progression, as we know, um, but we can keep it depending on the program. We may keep it super simple where we simply increase the reps, which is that progression because they then have to work harder for longer. We can increase the weight over time again, working harder for longer, but to ensure that we tick all of those boxes, we need to have it properly programmed so that those key movements, those primary patterns that we're working through are put front and center. So it's not a case of you're going to come in, you're going to start doing some, bicep curls, and then you're going to go into your TGU. That's just not efficient. It's not effective. It's not anything what we're about. Programming has to put those main components, those foundational exercises up front. Yeah, we prioritize them. I like to liken it to sports because people can understand like a, a soccer player is going to go in and practice his sport first and do his fitness second. A boxer is going to do his bag work before he does his skipping or before he does his weights because that's the priority. And in here, you step inside the door, you may only have 45 to 50 minutes three times per week. It's very valuable time. It's only about two and a half hours out of the 168. You need to get bang for your buck and those exercises provide that. You mentioned progression. There's also ways to progress in terms of the style of the exercise itself. Let's start with the deadlift, that being the most important. Mm -hmm. The king of the lifts is what a lot of people in the strength game call it because it does take probably the most boxes of all exercises and it works that fundamental move a pattern of picking something up off the ground. It's, yeah, really, it's pretty definitely. straightforward. So we would break it to take someone into the gym. They may not have never lifted a weight in their life. Where did they start on the deadlift? So like every person is going to be slightly different. It really is a case by case basis. However, the average of the people we take in, we can generally start them off safely on something like a kettlebell deadlift. Um, and when we start them from a kettlebell deadlift, it's important to remember that they are essentially still picking something heavy from the ground. So it still has to be a lighter load. It still has to be safe in every possible way. So generally speaking, what we do is we reduce the range of motion. And that's going to be the first thing when we want to simplify exercises um, to work around injury or just to make it easier for somebody. So, for example, if we have somebody working through their kettlebell deadlift, they might be lifting it off, let's say, an increased height. That's simply, that's simple increase in height is going to create a shorter range of motion that they actually have to work to or that they have to lift through and therefore making it that little bit easier for them. And if we can simply get them feeling comfortable at that and we can teach them all the little principles that we have behind our deadlift, then they're going to be able to progress to get lower and lower so that they can eventually deadlift off the ground. 
and so that they can then start to work up in weight. Once we feel comfortable that they've hit their, their key principles when it comes to their deadlift and we feel that they are doing it effectively and safe with an appropriate load, then we can change up variation from there. So we'll start off with their kettlebell deadlift and then from there, they're going to simply progress to maybe something as simple as a trap bar deadlift and or trap bar, hex bar, whatever term people like to use for that. But again, same thing applies. It's can they build themselves to practice that movement perfectly? Can they build up to a substantial weight with that? If yes, and they show progression over uh, months at a time, it's not like we progress them week to week because that's not how this works. Your body needs time to build resiliency over those, and it's simply not going to happen in day-to-day or week-to-week. It does need to be month-to-month. Now, some people move quite well, let's say, with our kettlebell, and sometimes, yes, we may move them to the trap bar and um, for various reasons. If you think about a kettlebell between your legs where we're bringing our hands quite close together, sometimes that can pull our shoulders forward and into a bad position. That's not what we're about. We want to keep those shoulders back, locked back, and we want to be able to stand with a nice tall chest. We can't do that sometimes if we're maybe a bigger guy. So maybe working to a trap bar in, in that side of things gives us a little more freedom to get into a better position. It's there, Like I said, there really is modifications that need to be made based on the person in front of us, but only when we see those key points that we we have set for ourselves will we allow them to progress to any degree. And these exercises, like you say, are modify, modifiable to every single individual. And they a lot of people come into the gym and think, okay, I want to lose weight. Why would I bother deadlifting? It's mm. a complex movement. It takes a lot of time. It can feel quite remedial at the beginning, especially if they're working off a shortened range of motion or a light weight. But these exercises go so much further than just uh, coming in and doing quote-unquote exercise or, or a sort of the, the end goal being weight loss. So why would a weight loss client, a fat loss client, want to do a deadlift or need to do a deadlift? If you think about how much energy you have to put in to a deadlift. Now, I don't just mean like a super, super heavy deadlift. I'm talking about even if it is a kettlebell deadlift, it's your first time in the gym and you are being talked through and coached through a kettlebell deadlift. I don't care if it's me or you. We are going to be challenged by the end of that because the amount of thought, intent, and energy that had to go into that, that all results in calorie expenditure. When you're talking about weight loss, you're talking about calorie deficit. Deficit can come in two ways, which is either reduction in calorie intake or increase in movement. In this case, we're talking about increase in movement because we're increasing their calorie expenditure. We're increasing the amount of movement that they're doing. And this exercise is very challenging as is, no matter the weight. So therefore, we're getting that increase in calories. Absolutely. And then you briefly touched on it earlier as well. Posture, you want to keep those shoulders back. You want to be able to stand tall. Mm. A lot of people, uh, because of the nature of their work or maybe an injury they suffered earlier in life, can't really achieve those positions safely. An exercise like the deadlift is going to stretch, strengthen up your posterior chain. That's the back of your body. It's going to improve your posture. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you um, just a more functional human being in general. So that's why I want to get people in deadlifting very early on because that's going to sort of get that ball rolling. And then the complexity or difficulty of the movement can be progressed as time goes on. And they may the goals may then lie outside the scope of simply just losing weight or you know building a better posture. They may actually want to achieve a certain number on the bar they might want to achieve a certain style they may want to switch to a sumo deadlift or a straight bar deadlift so that's kind of the where people eventually buy in on a different level is that kind of how you see it as well in terms of creating space for people to expand their their sort of fitness journey i think it comes for it comes at different times for different people some people never get it some people really don't care and that's okay we don't need them to care about how much they lift 
We need them to care about how they lift the weight they do lift. Um, because that's what really matters. As long as they're coming in, whether it's for mental health, whether it's for physical change, um, or whether they just simply want to learn, everybody has their own goal aside from those. So they might come in for fat loss, but they'll find one of those other three things actually appeals to them as well. And they're like, actually, you know what? I want to learn a little bit more about that deadlift because it's like, oh, I saw um, Alice over there working on the deadlift and it was phenomenal. It looked really, really cool. I want to be able to do that. Based on what we see other people do, we generally kind of get that little bit envious and we're like, oh, I want to do something cool like that too. Um, And when you start to practice and you start to see progress yourself, people tend to latch on to to that sort of stuff. People like to progress and whether it's career, whether it's uh, fitness, people really enjoy that. Um, And the learning aspect that we we introduce in here, it's not just a case of, oh, here, look, this is what you got to do to lift it. It's why are you doing this? We are doing this, like you explained a minute ago, because we're working on our posterior chain. If you think about your day-to-day, when was the last time you actually used your backside? Like, I mean, your hamstrings, the back of your legs, your bum, your lower back, your upper back, to do anything. Like, honestly, like the closest thing to doing that is maybe getting off a low couch or a low stool, because then your glutes actually have to get involved. But most of the time, we're not deadlifting, because we're always told, oh, you should always bend your knees when you're picking stuff up. If you look at a proper deadlift, it's a posterior chain, so that means your shins are going to be relatively vertical. The tension is going to be on your backside. It's not just going to be on the front of your legs, which we're all told to lift with. So if you think about the amount of times we pick up boxes, we pick up kids, we're bending our knees, that's all squats. Squats are great. They're phenomenal, but they're not a deadlift. They're not targeting the stuff that we are otherwise neglecting. Absolutely. And these are the, the movement patterns that are neglected and people will see it an exercise like the deadlift and think that's going to be bad for my back when the inverse is true. I mean, exactly. it really is going to set you up for success in your life. And obviously, if you go really heavy on a deadlift, you may run the risk of hurting your back. We're never going to say that's not possible. But in general, people who deadlift with correct form, like people in our the clients in our gym do, they're going to find that they're going to be more proficient in their daily life. They'll find activities like moving boxes around their house a little bit easier, carrying kids around a little bit easier, getting in and out of their car a little bit easier. And then, like we said as well, once those kind of boxes are ticked and they start to see other clients and they're like, well, I might want to move on to the track bar or I might, might want to progress to a straight bar, that's where the most profound change happens, I think, when I see a client suddenly being invested in the deadlift for the deadlift's sake. They may have lost their 20 kilos. They may have uh, recovered from their knee injury or their back injury. And now they're looking at goals that are purely for themselves. And that's like a profound impact because we, we talk about changing lives through fitness. That's not just fat loss. That's obviously a huge part of it. And growing muscle and building good physique, but actually buying into something is really important as well. So that's my absolute favorite thing to see in the gym is when you see someone who's gone through maybe the early stages in the gym, they're struggling. It's not really their thing. And then a year later, they're talking about how can I progress my deadlift from 110 kilos to 112.5 because as minuscule as that might seem, that's massive to them. Huge. It's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And um, that's why the deadlift, I think, is obviously a great place to start here. And now we've already touched on it. We're going to sort of segue nicely into something called the squat. Tell us about the squat. The squat is a tricky one. It's one that people are fearful of. Um, Like when you talk about your deadlift, people are afraid they're going to hurt their back. But when you talk about your squat, people feel like they're about to be buried alive. You put a, a barbell on somebody's back, they honestly are afraid they won't be able to get back up. And look, that's okay, because as you do get heavier, that is a risk. Um, but when we're talking about our squat, we're talking about the like the inverse of, of our deadlift. 
we're talking about loading the front of our body, our quads primarily, and we are talking about engaging our glutes, our hamstrings, all that stuff as well. Um, but it really is such a foundational movement pattern. Like I said, we use it every single day with the majority of things because we've been told to bend our knees to pick things up. Um, but it's one of those movements that we can always be stronger at, that we should be stronger at because it has such good carryover. If we just think about, let's say, most people participate in some variation of sport, some type of sport, the carryover that that has to sport, whether it's jumping, sprinting, running, um, shuffling side to side, there's a huge amount of carryover for anybody there. For moms that are picking up their kids, kids get bigger, they grow, and they grow pretty quickly. So we got to make sure that as the kids are getting bigger, we're able to lift them as well. And that comes down to full body strength. And that's what a squat really is. It's not just lower body. You're also talking about a lot of core stability. You're talking about a lot of back stability. Um, and all these components, they are very much the same for our deadlift as they are for our squat and our squat um, as they are for any of the other movements we're going to talk about. Um, but they target each component um, maybe a little more than the other exercise. So like we said, squats are going to target more of our um, anterior, whereas the deadlift would be more of our posterior. So it's really just good to have variation. If you're going to target one, you have to target the opposite. So antagonist, agonist, basically. Yeah, and the squat, as he said, it'll develop slightly different movement patterns, but they very much complement each other as well. Like I would mm -hmm. say, uh, just in my experience from a weightlifting and powerlifting background, which are two strength sports where the goal is maximum strength, the squat really can carry over tremendously to the deadlift. In fact, I've seen cases of people who pri prioritize the squat for months on end, particularly bigger athletes who run a slight higher risk of injury. They may not deadlift for a long time. They may just prioritize their squat and they can go back to their deadlift at the strength level they were at or even progress mm -hmm. slightly more from having not deadlifted at all. Um, and that could be for various reasons. It could be that the way they're built, their style of deadlifting. But with a squat, you are building, like you said, total body strength. People might look at a squat and think quads, your thighs, you're going to build your thighs, you might build your bum. But we're also talking about upper back stability, our ability to create tension to our core, intra-abdominal pressure, all mm -hmm. of these kind of concepts that we're going to get into now. So can we talk about breaking down the squat in the same way that we broke down the deadlift? Where does someone start their, their squatting journey if they've never lifted a weight before? So generally speaking, it's all about positioning. Um, most people actually either get, do one of two things. They give themselves too much space or too little space. And what I'm really referring to there is full position. So when you look at a squat you build from the from the ground up, same way you would with a deadlift, positioning like for your deadlift, your feet should be underneath your knees, knees underneath your hips, so we're stacking our joints upon each other. Um, a squat should be very much the same, but we have to allow for a little more space um, so that basically our hips can slot down between our, our, between our knees. Now, when we set up for a squat, it's pretty much heels outside shoulder width or at shoulder width. Again, depends on the person because everybody has or everybody is built differently. So it's important to take that into account. It's not a one one size fits all. Generally speaking, that's where we're going to start. We're going to maybe turn their toes out slightly. And the only reason we turn the, their toes out is so that we can reduce pressure on their either calves or their IT band, which is basically like just some restrictions that most people have from day-to-day -day life, okay? Especially if, if you're a runner, I guarantee you tight calves, I guarantee you can't do a good squat. That's pretty That's, yeah. that's pretty, uh, yeah. pretty. on the ball. Um, but if we can start from a, building a strong foundation bottom position, we're just going to get them to work through what we call a counterbalance squat. And that's just to allow them to understand how they can shift their weight. Um, not that we want to be like getting them to sit their bum like as far possibly back as they can, but we do want them to understand that their torso must lean. So their upper body, so from hip to head, must be able to lean forward in a flat position to match roughly their shin angle when they are squatting. So if you were to stand up right now 
and you were to put your feet just outside shoulder width with your toes turned slightly out, pick a point ahead of you, maybe where the ceiling meets the wall, reach your arms out towards that point, and then simply bend your knees as you imagine sitting back to a chair. That's what a counterbalance squat is. That's using your hips or your bum and your hamstrings, as well as using your quads. But it's also doing so to allow you to maintain stability through your upper back, lower back. It's also allowing your torso angle to match your shin angle. And hopefully there's enough space there that you can get down to roughly um, your thigh and parallel to the ground while your back maintains a flat position. That's a lot of, a lot of different things. But the more you practice that pattern, the better you will become, the more you will realize, oh, maybe I need to bring my feet a little bit wider, a little bit closer. Um, and then that will vary depending on the type of squat that they do. Because within all these exercises we're talking about, I think bar the Turkish get up, there is variety. There is variation from person to person. There are different styles like deadlift, sumo, trap bar, uh, conventional, uh, kettlebell, all those different times are types. With our squat, we do have different types of squat, but what we'll do is just focus on the main movement itself. So again, that counterbalance squat is generally where we start somebody. It's the easiest point to start at if you're training at home, for example. You literally can't go wrong. You will still get a great training stimulus from just doing those kind of squats as you would from putting a barbell on your back. It may not be as intense, but that's okay. From the counterbalance squat, like we have a range of different ones we can go to based on how we see that person moving. If they move really, really well, we can then bring them up to a goblet squat. Okay, and our goblet squat is where we're holding weight in against our chest to make sure it's in contact so it's close to our body and keep keeping our center of mass pretty close. Um, and they'll do the exact same. But now, instead of having their arms out to offset their weight, the weight in their hands is helping to offset that weight. And again, we can build from there, from the from the goblet squat up to the uh, barbell box squat. We can go from a box squat, which is, again, sitting more into that posterior chain because we're trying to target all these things um, target the same things but in different ways for variation for slightly different stimulus and a bit of crack as well so we can go box squat we can go from a box squat to a regular squat um, and there's a huge amount even within those from high bar to low bar from there's loads of different types of bars as well as you know yeah. um, but a huge amount of variation really yeah, and the squat can be used for so many different things as well just from a coaching standpoint it's a great exercise for hypertrophy for building muscle for building strength, like you said, for athletic endeavors, it's a phenomenal exercise, but can also be used in a conditioning style workout mm-hmm. with lower weights or no weights at all. And the nature of the exercise, it just builds, like you mentioned that word resilience when we're talking about the deadlift, resilience through your whole body, your knees and your hips in particular, and obviously learning how to maintain a, a, um, a neutral spine when getting into that position is so important. We encounter issues like butt wink and, and things like that can, that can be quite difficult to handle. And this is where I think the squat differs from, from the deadlift slightly in that there are, you're probably going to see more variation in terms of technique with the squat than any other exercise yeah. because of leverage out in terms of the amount of variety from person to person. So different leverages, limb lengths, uh, torso lengths, thing like, things like that that can really dictate what a squat looks like. A lot of our clients will look around the gym and maybe lament what someone else's squat looks like compared to theirs or how come they can't achieve the depth that someone else can. Someone make a comment about my squat that I squat very deep. It's very comfortable for me to get into that position. Can you just very briefly kind of go through why one person might be able to squat with a more knee dominant, sort of low, squatting nice and deep style compared to someone who has to sit back a little bit more uh, and sacrifice a little bit of depth. Yeah, so it's, it really comes down to the individual's mobility a lot of the time, their flexibility a lot of the time, um, and essentially how they're built as a human. For example, those that you might see with their knees getting 
good, decent amount of travel. Um, knees passing their toes, which is absolutely fine, by the way. Complete myth that it's going to damage your knee. Now, if you have pre-existing knee, knee injuries, don't do that. But for most people, if they have good ankle mobility, their knees should be able to travel, which should facilitate them getting to a lower position. And that's just a very, very simple one. So like we talked a, a few minutes ago, it was like for a runner, if somebody that runs like a lot of mileage, they're generally going to have tighter calves. Their ankle mobility may not be as good because they're going to have tighter calves, which is going to cause more restriction in the ankle. And therefore, they actually won't be able to get down to a lower position. That's quite a common thing. It's not like there's obviously people that can do it, but it's quite a common thing that we see. Aside from that, you're looking at femur length, tibia length. You're talking about um, how long somebody's torso is in comparison to their uh, to their legs, it's like all of that plays a major role in it. That will dictate whether they even squat, let's say, high bar, low bar, and high bar being like bar resting on the upper traps versus the low bar resting what would be the shelf of the lower of the sorry the shelf of the upper back, and so much 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 lower. That is completely dictated by how somebody is built. So we're based based on how we see them, how we see them move in their counterbalance squat, how we see them move in their um, goblet squat, how they move with their barbell box squat, and then and, and only then will we really decide, okay, this might be the best thing for you. We try it out. It really is a test it, see if it works. And if it works, great. If not, we try a different style. Because, again, you're not going to have an answer first time. Nobody does. But you got to see what feels right for the client and then what works well um, just as as a as an exercise for us and for them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and just as as a, for instance, from my own coaching experience, just yesterday, I had a, a, a man squatting low bar, low bar back squat, um, in a group where someone else was doing a goblet squat, and then I had two other uh, two other guys on a on a counterbalance squat. So it was three different types of squats happening all in the same session, but all looking to achieve a very similar goal, just mm-hmm. based on the experience of the client. And I think that's where. That's why squats play such a fundamental role in all good strength programming. And uh, we can get into semantics of how you may program a squat, but in this conversation, for the sake of what we do at NickFit, it really is just a fundamental movement. And uh, speaking of, of NickFit, something that sort of marks us out slightly, I would say, from a lot of strength gyms and a lot of gyms around Ireland and perhaps the world, is the emphasis that we place on an exercise called the Turkish Get-Up. We get a lot of blank faces looking our way when we explain what the Turkish get-up is for the first time. Uh, and even blanker, in fact, cr- crinkled, angry-looking faces when we <laughs> demonstrate it for the first time and the person realizes that they're going to be asked to do this exercise. That confused face. A confused so face. Like, I have we, to do that? Yeah, we see it and uh, and then we go through the... I'm not going to use the word pain. I'm going to say discomfort of teaching someone to do the Turkish, <laughs> the Turkish get-up for the first time. Um, what is the Turkish get-up? And why do we prioritize it in our program? So a Turkish get-up is a massive movement movement within our system. Essentially, a Turkish get-up is a way of getting a kettlebell from you in a lying position to you in a standing position overhead and then returning to the ground. There are a number of movements on the way up, a number of movements on the way down. But essentially what we're doing is we are setting a foundation from the bottom we are building a pillar and moving our body around the kettlebell as we build ourselves up to a standing position. And then we do the complete reverse on the way down. Now we're targeting literally everything in our body as we do these um, from shoulder stability to hip stability, core stability, all that stuff, leg strength, 
core strength, whatever terminology you want to use to talk about overall strength, this is it. And if you don't know what it is, YouTube it now because you will, uh, you'll be nervous. (laughs) Uh, You'll probably be nervous looking at it. Um, But that's not what we we teach straight off. We always teach people like half the get up. We we break it down into manageable bite sized pieces because it really is overwhelming when you first look at it and learn it and you're like, oh my god, it's like this has so many steps. It does. But you look, you're here to progress, you're here to learn um, and better yourself. And what better way to do it than learn an exercise that is gonna target you in or get, going to challenge you in every single capacity. Um but actually to you is yeah, it really is one of our fundamental Exercise here. I talked about the deadlift earlier, seeing people go from completely sort of uh, indifferent to an exercise to invested fully in it. The Turkish get up is probably the best example of that in our system because you get that blank, confused look. And then a year down the line, people are pushing every single time they do the get up to do the heaviest possible get up they can do. It becomes a really big thing for them. I know my brother, who's only joined, been a part of the gym for about a year. It's the exercise he enjoys the most having it beginning as the exercise you enjoy the least because as human beings we don't enjoy things we're not good at generally in fact i i've never done something that i'm terrible at and thought this is great crack (laughs) but then as you start to see progress and as you start to be able to move up the ladder in terms of the weights that completely changes and becomes something that people thrive in and we have people at this gym who do turkish get-ups that are really really impressive and again because they're so used to it it's such so ingrained in our system they may not even realize how impressive it really is like you said, it targets everything. It can be used as a strength exercise. It can be used as a mobility exercise. It can be used as a high rep accessory. It's It can be used even in a conditioning block. It's something that can tick every single box. And just to, just so to give people the idea, you, you touched on what the get-up really does in terms of you know shoulder stability, hip stability. Why would you personally see value in doing a heavy Turkish get-up, pushing yourself in terms of it being a strength exercise? So again, like you said, you can use it for different reasons. If I'm going to use it myself, I'm going to use it primarily as a strength movement because I'm only ever doing one to two reps per side. I will obviously do maybe a little bit more on my warm-ups, but when I'm working heavy, I am trying to focus on my bracing, creating stability throughout the entire body. I'm pushing myself through a range of motion that I wouldn't normally have to do. Um, but that in itself, if we can challenge our strength in different range of motion, we are then going to be able to increase our work capacity at different levels. For example, when we do the sweep action, which is basically when you bring your knee. So if you're in a glute bridge position, you lift your hips and your hand is on the ground. You sweep your knee to the hand. That alone is where people struggle a lot because of hip mobility. If I'm able to stabilize at the shoulder, I know that I'm working on shoulder strength. Yeah, If I'm able to stabilize there, I'm also stabilizing on my left shoulder. Okay, So I'm going literally from left hand to right hand while balancing with 40-something kilos overhead. I know that I'm working on my shoulder strength there, which has definitely always, always been a weakness of mine, but it's gotten better since I've actually started TGUs, which is great. Um, that mobility aspect improves my squat, it improves my lateral lunges, it improves my regular lunges, it improves my athletic capabilities when it comes to running, when it comes to skiing, rowing, everything. So the carryover that even working on your mobility has in a TGU translates into the, all the other movement patterns that we've talked about. Yeah, so it ticks all the boxes and it's been used a lot in 
fighting because you know getting up off the floor mm-hmm. under load and, and being able to manipulate your body we can also talk a little bit about the central nervous system like it does it does put you through some pretty taxing positions under quite a bit of load we've all experienced the shakes and the various different exercises where your body starts to vibrate as you get stronger with with the search get up you'll notice that that starts to disappear and you're you're basically just becoming a more functional stronger person underneath what is really a comp- complex set of movements and like you said it can be moved moved into the mobility realm where it's like an accessory exercise that can use just to increase movement or improve your movement um so i just think although people come into the gym they look at it and think this is such a complicated exercise it kind of is the foundation of everything we do here because once you get better at the turkish get up it's kind of a marker that you're going to get like you said better at everything else like if you think about that exercise and the way it's broken down what is there seven to nine different exercises within one so now let's think about time efficiency even the, the time that it takes to do one TGU, it's, it, it is a bit of time because there's so many movements within it. Well, let's say if we do two reps each side, okay? That might take me 40 seconds on one side, 40 seconds on the other side. Now imagine the amount of time I would have to spend to go through those another like separate seven to nine exercises and break them down. I'd be there for a hell of a lot longer and I wouldn't get the same impact I would from having done that TGU. So rather than going doing split squats, sit-ups, um, overhead press, and all these other things that could definitely mimic um, your TGU, I'm simply going to do a TGU. I'm going to make it time efficient. I'm going to feel damn good doing it. I'm going to look good doing it because it's cool as hell. Um, but it also adds all those things that we talked about. It's shoulder stability, hip stability, core strength, mobility. All those things are you're getting really bang for your book there. Yeah. Versus having to do seven to nine other exercises all separate where we can just work them at a different time um, and optimize their our efficiency and use of them. Yeah. And again, we talk about optimizing the time. We're going to briefly chat, uh, chat about the two bodyweight exercises at the beginning of the conversation we referenced that are on our standards mm-hmm. board. So I think a lot of people step into the gym. We'll talk about the chin up second. Let's talk about the push up first, especially men. They may look at you and think, oh, I can bang out 10 to 15 push-ups, 20 push-ups. And then you get them to, to do a set of push-ups and immediately you can see that they probably can't do 15 to 20 push-ups. It's an exercise that I think people they take lightly. They don't really understand that if when performed correctly, it's an exercise that is, is extremely challenging, but also reaps a huge amount of benefits for the, for, the, for the entire body. So just briefly talk about the push-up and the role that can play in a, in a well-balanced strength program. Yeah, so we've all thought of a push-up before. We've all seen push-ups in movies. We've seen the military do it. And the military are shocking at it. Just had to change my word there. Um, <laughs> are shocking at it. Um, from my personal opinion, having seen huge amounts of military men perform a push-up, um, and it's due no fault of our own, but there is more so a perfect push-up is what we practice. A perfect push-up is essentially a plank position from your hands, bending at the elbows, getting your chest to touch the floor, not your stomach, your chest, and then coming back up to a full push-up position. There is a distinct difference between that and what you might see on TV or in the military and stuff like that. What they allow for basically is a rounding of your back so think of your plank position okay your back is nice and flat your bum is squeezed and your pelvis is tucked when you see those poor push-ups you're seeing arching in the back you're seeing your t- the tummy droop towards the ground you're seeing their hips lower than their shoulders we want a nice straight line from the hip or sorry from the ankle to the knee from the knee to the hip from the hip to the shoulder right up to the head 
We want to see that straight line throughout the entire movement so the body moves as one unit, one pillar, one strength exercise um, versus letting half of your weight dip towards the floor as you poorly try to push. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to even try to consider a poor push-up, any sort of training, because you're only lifting a very small percentage of your weight. There are more effective ways to do that, like either doing it from your knees or doing it to a bar to a, or like to an incline height is what I'm saying. Like if you did it to the side of your couch, that is that bit easier, but then you're able to bring in your core, okay, because you're still maintaining that plank position, but you're also still getting everything you would hope to get from a, a perfect push-up because you're still targeting that exact perfect push-up position, which is a moving plank. Yeah, and again, why we would prioritize an exercise like the push-up and the chin-up in a system where obviously we're a gym, we're full of fancy equipment. Why put so much emphasis on two exercises that require just ourselves is strength to mass ratio. So a huge part of people losing weight, losing fat, losing fat is that they can increase or, or, or improve their strength to mass ratio. Just briefly go over what strength to mass ratio is and why it's important when we're talking about body weight exercises. So strength to mass ratio is essentially how strong you are in comparison to the weight that you physically weigh. So for example, right now, I think I am 90 kilos. Can I pull 90 kilos? Yes, apparently so, because I can get my chin over the bar. When we're talking about like body weight movements, like a chin up or a push up, the ability to move our own weight is so essential and not just for the gym, but if you think about your day-to-day life and it's like, it's very easy for us to use an example, like a, a life and death situation where you're hanging off the side of a cliff. What's that movie with, um, I think it's called Cliffhanger actually. <laughs> yeah, that movie called Cliffhanger. Um, I'm going to get crucified for that one. So that's just alone. But it's the idea, imagine you're hanging off the side. Wouldn't you want to be able to pull yourself up and save your own life? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to be able to help somebody do the same? Yeah. This is why you train um, body weight. And in order to get that strength to mass ratio, there's not really one or two things that we have to do in order to get there. We either have to lose weight or get stronger. There's one. There's only those two options. But a lot of the time, we actually need to work on both because it's not something that we would have had to do. Like if you had grown up playing sports, great. You've, you've probably done some variation of those. If you haven't, then it's okay. You, you're at a different starting point, so we might need to do both. But once your strength level reaches a point and your weight reaches a point that you can overcome that initial inertia, okay, which is like breaking through gravity, let's say, so that we can start to, to, to pull up towards that bar or start to push ourselves away from that ground, depending on the exercise, then we're at that point where we have a balanced strength-to-mass ratio, and then we can only hope to improve that over time with more frequency and more reps and perfect reps and just keeping doing that over and over so that we get stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger. Yeah, and that's where where we talk about So there seems to be kind of a catch-22 there. It's like, well, if I'm losing fat, it can be quite difficult to gain strength. Well, this is where accessory movements come in. So we've spent this entire podcast talking about the sort of pillars of our programming, but important as well is to complement what we do with some some smaller, more direct exercises. So if you're working on chin-up is a huge goal. A lot of people in, this, in, in NICFIT and in gyms around the world can't do a chin-up when they start in the gym and they may be like, oh, so I'm just batting my head up against the wall. I just can't, I just can't do it. Well, look at what you're working in a chin-up. You're working on your lats, you're working on your biceps, your shoulders, your upper back strength, your core strength. So how can you improve that? Well, there are other exercises that can involve other implements like dumbbells, kettlebells, machines even in some cases mm-hmm. that can improve those. Yeah. So where do accessory movements lie on that scale for you in terms of importance when it comes to improving your body weight and strength? 
So first thing I would generally say to people is look at the movement you're trying to achieve firstly. Okay, so you're trying to push the ground away in a push-up, yeah? You are lying flat on your front and you are trying to push the ground away. Now, what other exercises do we do and that we can do to mimic that? Now, we're mimicking it so that we can build up a greater capacity at it, become stronger at that movement pattern because exercise is about patterns. It is not about just the exercises. So if we think about our push-up, now let's see, what do we have similar to our push-up? We have a floor press, we have a bench press, and we have a huge amount of variation within those from dumbbell to barbell and everything in between. If we were to practice all of those other movements, okay, and even thinking about the assisting muscle groups in that, so not it's not just our chest and the movement pattern, but we also have little additional things that we could do. For example, we use the back of our arms, our triceps, through a lot of that. So let's put in some tricep work as well. That could be the likes of tricep pushdowns. That could be a close grip bench press and working at, working at lighter weight dips. All of these things are going to assist us directly in what we're trying to achieve because now we're, tr- we're training the pattern versus training just one exercise. Yes, the exercise is going to help because the more you pra- practice something perfectly, the better you will get at it. That is a fact. And if you keep practicing your chin up, you will get one eventually. Same with the push-ups. But to build up your work capacity and get there that bit more effectively, sooner, um, and in a better shape, then assistance exercises like these are really where it's at. And perfect practice makes perfect. I think that's a huge takeaway here when it comes to the specific nature of, of doing the movements we've, we've spoken about. But also the crux of, of this topic is really why we focus on the exercise that we do. And I think that's exactly it, that there is variety in there. There's there's a, there's variation for everyone. That's why these movements builds the foundation of our programming. So as important as it is to practice the deadlift, the squat, the TGU, the chin-up, the push-up, it's also important to be where you're at in that journey. So if you can't do a straight bar deadlift with correct technique, there's going to be a deadlift for you. If you can't do a full Turkish get-up, there's going to be a half Turkish get-up. If you can't quite do a chin-up yet, there's also going to be an exercise that's going to push you towards that. So this is where the beauty of it lies, where these exercises seem so simple, but within that there's a plethora of options that can suit pretty much every single person if you can walk into the gym, you can do some kind of exercise. That's it. So Even if you're walking in on one leg, you can still do exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's where these, this is why strength training, although it can seem very scary on the, from the outside looking in, it is actually really simple. And once you understand the pattern, as you say, the movement pattern, it starts to become much more simple. That's it. Everybody has their starting point. Yes, everybody's different. But we meet you where you're at. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how strong or weak you are, how much experience or how little experience you have. There is always something that you can do to better yourself. Never compare yourself to others because comparison really is the thief of joy and you should just start now, not worrying about anybody else. Also on that, nobody, so I was talking to one of the members about this earlier. They were like, oh, um, such and such uh, is looking at me. Nobody is ever looking at you. Everybody is so focused on themselves. So don't worry. About yeah. Like you think about you in the gym. What do you do? You're thinking more about yourself than you are about anything around you or anybody near you. So come in, like get involved, just get stuck in and honestly, just give it time because it's not something that happens quickly. Like we, we just talked through huge amount of exercise. Now imagine taking the time to have to learn each and every one of those and then get really good at it. That's what we want to do. We want to educate people to that point. Yeah, absolutely. So once people leave the gym, we hope that they have a little bit more of an understanding of what they're doing as well as fact that they're doing it's education it's education and that's why i think a gym like this does separate a gym like this being unique a bit it does separate itself from your average facility because people are coming in and they're 
they're getting that education and they're able to, uh, we, we talk about creating autonomy in some of our previous podcasts. That's so important from my point of view of when a client no longer needs me, that's when I'm at my happiest because they can just train away and get a great workout. Job in done. And we're really just a facilitator at that point. Job done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Shane. That was really enjoyable. Thanks for having me on. Conversation. And I hope you guys listening uh, took something from that. If you ever have any questions for Shane, where can they reach you on social media? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, train by Shane. Uh, train by underscore Shane. Um, pretty, pretty easy. Or Shane and Nikovic Studios. That if you want to email me. And train with me in person here anytime, all the time, here all week. We literally live in the back room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're literally recording this in the back room. Quite right literally now. in my yeah. bedroom. <laughs> Our training sessions happening right just 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 literally behind me here. So thanks uh, so much for joining us on the Nick of the Studios podcast. And we'll catch you next time.